News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Macias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change that our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to episode 47 of the Luke Macias Show. Uh, Honestly, today I have so much to go through and I don't want to keep you here forever because you'll probably get tired of listening to me after like 20 or 30 minutes. I know so many friends and uh, conservatives who have told me that they listen every week just to get their little nugget of Texas news and updates. And so I want to try to confine that into a consumable piece of information, but there's a lot going on and a lot to talk about. So I'm going to try to go as quickly as possible, but I want to start. If you're uh, watching this on a video, you're going to see the mug. I show you again, fake news stops here. Isn't that a cool mug? So this mug, uh, you're only going to get it one way. And that's by going to the Texan.news and, uh, subscribing before the end of the year. And if you do that, they are going to ship you a mug because I did it and they shipped me a mug and I have my mug now and I get to drink my coffee and you can keep it at your house. That way when other Texans are there and you're drinking coffee and they go, wait, how did you stop fake news with a coffee mug? You'll say, because I'm a subscriber to the Texan and I get real news without all the crap and I'm sticking it to the liberal media And I'm making sure that there's a journalistic outlet in Texas that is delivering real news for Texans. So go to the texan.news and you will get this cool mug like I have. So fake news stops here. And if you're listening to this on one of the podcast platforms, you can't see the mug. So you'll have to go to Facebook or go to YouTube and watch the episode just so you can see the mug for yourself. It's a white mug, red, black text. It's all good. Okay, we have a ton to get to. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break it up into addressing just a handful of federal things real quick, and we're going to move straight into state politics. So there's two things going on on the federal side. One was that the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee met to discuss the IG report, Inspector General's report, regarding the FBI's investigation of the Trump campaign. And for those of you who maybe saw snippets here and there, I would highly recommend that you go to Blaze TV. Uh, their YouTube channel and just look for the Ted Cruz clip they have. They've got about a five and a half minute clip that you need to watch for yourself, but it's just him exposing the reality that members within the FBI doctored evidence and uh, literally gave the FISA court information that was opposite to what reality was in order to obtain warrants that gave them the ability to spy on the Trump campaign uh, throughout the 2018 or throughout the 2016 elections. And so this um, is disturbing. Uh, Josh Hawley said something that I've I've said several times already, but uh, during the conversation and during his first comments, he said, you know, it doesn't surprise me, and I don't think most Americans should be that surprised that we now know that the government of Russia uh, tried to impact our elections. And, and by the way, that's not Trump colluding with Russia. That's just the government of Russia trying to impact and manipulate our election results. Um, That shouldn't surprise us because nations like China and Russia are major actors on the global stage and they're going to try to uh, affect that. But you know what should really disturb us? It's the fact that our own government tried to manipulate and impact our elections and uh, tried to manipulate the citizens and tried to investigate 
the presidential nominee of the opposite party to the one that was in power. And that is a major problem. And so go watch that. You can watch all sorts of other clips, but the one with Ted Cruz, he's our senator here in Texas. So please go do that. Chip Roy also, when it comes to the national stage, impeachment is a big issue. And Chip Roy came out with a very well-written op-ed in the National Review. And he is my congressman that I have mentioned several times because I love Chip Roy. And he's doing a phenomenal job in D.C. He is the top target in Texas by Democrats. And some people might argue that there's other top targets. I will tell you, Chip Roy is absolutely the top target because he's not just another Republican. He's actually a hardcore, conservative, articulate warrior who knows how to effectively navigate the legislative process in D.C. He can effectively navigate the swamp, and he's doing so to advance conservative principles, and they absolutely hate him for it. So Wendy Davis is running against him, and he is going to be a top target from now till November of 2020. He wrote an op-ed that many of you can go read, and um, it is at the National Review. Uh, the title is No Impeachment, Let the American People Decide. He made a really good point in this and in uh, an interview he had on Fox News with Chris Wallace where he said that it's important to remember that our founders did not give us uh, a recall of the president, which you know you saw in Wisconsin when they tried to recall Scott Walker, or um, a vote of no confidence. You don't take votes of no confidence on our president. They only gave us the impeachment process when the president commits... Um, high crimes and misdemeanors and uh, is found guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors. And so he articulates really what impeachment is for and why Democrats have failed to make their case effectively. Um, I am going to just read you a quick little excerpt, which I appreciate and I think we should all appreciate. He said, to determine the facts, I have largely sought to avoid the media circus while taking part in depositions, reading reports, and observing public hearings. As a former prosecutor and as a member of the House Oversight Committee, I believe it important to review the facts and then render judgment. And you can read his piece at the National Review uh, to see what his judgment is. And then he makes a case for why Democrats have not made their own case for Trump uh, being guilty of committing a crime. And so, um, I again, I just recommend that y'all go listen uh, to those issues. Okay, a couple other quick updates for you. We also have the uh, Tinsley case. And, um, and we have Baby Tinsley, who... Uh, who is trying to be killed by a hospital in Fort Worth. And I don't think they would like me saying it that way, but it's absolutely what's happening. Cook's Children's has tried to end the life of this small 10-month-old girl who is under their care against the wishes of her mother. And this has caught a lot of attention. Representatives Tony Tinderholt and Tam Parker went down to the hospital uh, on the day that the hospital was trying to end the child's life. And uh, their efforts and the efforts of Texas Right to Life and other strong organizations stepped up and preserved her life. And so there was a very long case, and I'm sure we will be coming to you with more and more information because in this case, Texas Right to Life made their uh, made their case. I'm sorry I said the word case too much there, but they made their case for why the Texas Advanced Directives Act is unconstitutional and why uh, these hospitals should not be shielded from immunity when it comes to uh, the attempt to end the life of a patient against the patient's will or the will of the parents of the patient. And so um, uh, just to give you all some context, which I thought really came to light, um, it Texas Advanced Directives Act is basically what provides hospitals the authority, currently in Texas, to 
place a do not resuscitate order on you, or in this case, they want to take this child off of the ventilator she's on. So it's not just DNRs. They want to actually remove her from the ventilator so that she will die. And, um, and so they convene an ethics panel and they say, this child needs to die. And the ethics panel says, okay, this child shall die. Is her mom okay with it? No, she's absolutely not okay with it. But we think that it has to happen. And so the ethics panel places a 10-day rule on this child. And they say, in 10 days, we will remove treatment from your child. And that is when everybody stepped into gear and said that is absolutely not going to happen. What the judge did was the judge granted an extension to the current clock through, I believe, January 2nd. The Texan uh, also, since we're talking about them, have a piece on this that you can go read the full update uh, on the Tinsley case there for what exactly happened. But the judge, Chief Justice Sandy Marion of the Fourth Court of Appeals, uh, ruled an extension uh, through January 2nd. So Tinsley will at least live through Christmas, praise the Lord. And uh, at some point between now and then, she may be making a ruling on the broader situation. But here's what I really want to talk about because I love the fact that this case is going through the court system because we actually get to have a real discussion about what this is um, all about, which is the ethical question at hand around the Texas Advanced Directives Act. So Texas Alliance for Life and Texans for Life and the Texas Catholic Conference of Bishops and uh, Texas Medical Association and Texas Hospital Association. By the way, the Texas Medical Association and the Hospital Association have both advocated for pro-choice policies in this state for quite some time. They are anti-life organizations, okay? And that's not all they lobby for, but the Texas Medical Association uh, opposed the sonogram bill that we passed, which is a major pro-life victory in Texas. They opposed the ban on abortions. They actually supported third trimester abortions. So the Texas Medical Association has a long history of not understanding why and respecting life just in general. It's really sad because you would, you know, many of you know so many physicians that uh, you trust, but unfortunately their lobby has decided to become an arm of the far left when it comes to the abortion issue and this issue when it comes to the end of life issue. So they uh, submitted an amicus brief in which they uh, disagreed with the Texas Attorney General disagreed with Texas Right to Life, disagreed with so many of us who believe in parental rights and respecting all life. And they submitted, and I'm going to read just a couple excerpts to understand the opposition's position, okay? So this is from their amicus brief. So I'm not taking this out of context. It says, a medical intervention that could further prolong life can also directly or indirectly inflict significant suffering without proportionate benefit to the patient. When such an intervention would come near to the end of life, in a situation with no meaningful prospect for cure or recovery, a treating physician might believe that further interventions would inflict only harm, violating one of the oldest and most deeply held principles of medical ethics. These, ethics, these ethical principles protect doctors as well as patients. Really? As well as patients? I mean, these... These ethics protect patients so the doctors can end their life without their permission. This is what it says. Medical providers in these end-of-life situations face not only an ethical dilemma, but also feel concrete personal anguish over being the instrument used to inflict non-beneficial suffering on a patient. Now, I want to make sure you understand. Non-beneficial suffering on a patient, as defined by Text Alliance for Life and the Text Medical Association, means keeping the patient alive. Understand that. 
when they say this, they're talking about whatever. They're talking about leaving the vet, leaving the respirator on Tinsley, okay? They're talking about whatever, like keeping her alive, the ventilator, the respirator. I don't even remember. I'm not a doctor, okay? But I'm pretty sure I understand ethics. So they feel personal anguish over inflicting this non-beneficial uh, suffering on a patient. Family members of patients also go through their own decision-making process. Really? No, they don't get to decide. You've decided for them. But they say they go through their own decision-making process as they begin to have these conversations with their doctors and then at their own pace and rooted in their own sincere sense of morality come to grips with the reality of the hard choices facing. This is how we wish things happened. A doctor explained the situation. And by the way, there are times when you have to let go of a child or a loved one, an elderly person. They're Many of you will face that decision. I will probably potentially face that decision at some point. It could happen to any of us. And there will be a time in which you need to know it's time to let go. And then here is what they say. So this is what we like. Discuss back and forth. And they have their own decision to make, right? Patients get to decide. Doctors get to decide. Let's figure this out. Here's what they say. Without a law like the Texas Advanced Directives Act, these conversations might be intractable. With the statute... There is a process that moves moves toward closure. With this statute, there's a process that moves toward closure. Closure means death. Closure means the patient dies. And the Texas Medical Association and Texas Alliance for Life believe that they get to play God and that they get to decide whether or not the patient being cared for is worthy of being kept alive. Acting as if they know all of what the medical treatment will happen, that this is inevitable. This is a 10-month-old little girl that could die, by the way. But she's not dead. Okay. So keep tuned in to the Texan to know uh, more about what is going on there. Let's talk about George P. Bush. And more importantly, let's talk about Kyle Biederman first. So Representative Kyle Biederman, he's my state representative. I know I'm talking about my state, my conservative congressman, Chip Roy, my conservative state representative, Kyle Biederman. And I know, like, I've got some great representatives over my community, which is pretty awesome. So <coughs> Kyle Biederman wrote a letter to the governor on December 11th. And uh, if you want to know more about what's happening at the Alamo, uh, actually, episode nine, I believe, is a conversation between Representative Jonathan Stickland, Representative Kyle Biederman, and myself. It's actually one of our more downloaded episodes, and uh, it is going through the entire process of what's happening at the Alamo. I'm going to give you the very short version for those of you who don't actually want to go back and listen to episode nine. Basically, what happens is the uh, city of San Antonio and the state of Texas, under the direction of George P. Bush, have entered in to a plan to remake the Alamo. They call it the reimagine the Alamo, okay? And they want to change the Alamo. They want to make it more beautiful. But in so doing, they want to focus less on the battle of the Alamo and more on the history of all that has happened on this plot of land. And they want to talk about the indigenous people that at one point lived here and the other things that happened within this plot of land. And this is something that most Texans are very upset about because we actually see the Alamo as an icon of Texan, as a symbol of Texas, 
of our grit and determination, of our principles, of our willingness to stand, of our willingness for our, our people that came before us to have vision beyond just their own preservation and vision that was willing to sacrifice ultimately to preserve the liberty and freedoms of their fellow Texans. So there's a lot of concern over what this means. And just to let you know, George P. Bush or the mayor could at any time veto the plan. So this is wholly within... Now, the, the mayor of San Antonio, Rod Nuremberg, is a very progressive liberal Democrat. So he's... I mean, he's loving it right now, to be honest. He's like driving this train and going, man, this is awesome. George P.'s going along with everything I want him to do. Let's keep, keep going. So Kyle Biedemann writes a letter. He said, Governor Abbott... This was to Governor Abbott on December 11th. Governor Abbott, we fellow Texans call on you in the name of liberty, patriotism, and everything that is dear in Texas to join with us to stop the removal of the Cenotaph from the Alamo battlefield. And uh, the Cenotaph is the tomb uh, that has been erected that, uh, you know, basically exemplifies and personifies and recognizes the defenders of the Alamo. Okay, and I hope I'm saying that correctly, but that's basically what the Cenotaph is. And so part of the plan is to remove this Again, going back to the fact that it's becoming less about what the, happened at the Alamo and more about the whole history of everything that's ever happened on this piece of dirt. Many thoughtful people have responded. This is back to the letter. Many thoughtful people have responded in dismay to the efforts to dismantle and move the Alamo Cenotaph, but their voices have been ignored. On behalf of our fellow citizens and patriots, I appeal to you with all the honor and reverence due to the governor of this great state of Texas to take immediate action to protect the monument to the brave defenders of the Alamo. With all due respect, your silence to date has emboldened those seeking to whitewash Texas history. The plan to disgrace the Alamo defenders and move the cenotaph is being rushed for political cause. If this action is not reconsidered, we will all regret this as an avoidable travesty. Your silence or inaction will be recorded in the history of not only Texas, but America and the world. Governor, I plead to you to stand for what is right at this moment in time. Your leadership is not only needed, but required. The dismantling and removing the sacred cenotaph is on schedule to be accomplished before the end of the year in the dead of night. Governor, our request is simple and our cause is just. We ask that you, as the one leader in Texas capable of exercising your bully pulpit, and the powers of your office to immediately halt these efforts. On behalf of Texans, I again appeal to you to protect and defend the sanctity of this monument. So, later that day, and let me explain to you. So I guess somebody somewhere said something about uh, George P. Bush, and like when I say somebody somewhere, I mean even in George P. Bush's post, he didn't even say who made this post. It's not somebody of like, significant repute just some activists out there hears that there's going to be a statue of santa anna erected on the alamo battlefield okay and this is what happens right information gets spread out the game of telephone and people go oh, i heard this so some guy out there some guy we, i don't even know who he is says i heard that santa anna statues going up at the alamo and george p bush signed off on it and uh george p bush was not happy about this accusation. And so the same day that Kyle Biederman wrote a letter to the governor saying, we got to do something about this. Some random guy out there says this. And George B. Bush wants to draw attention to this man's words. So he posts, one must ask themselves, why am I being accused of honoring the murderous dictator Santa Ana? 
Is it because my mother, now a naturalized citizen, is from Mexico? I was born in Houston. My wife is from San Angelo. My boys were born, you guessed it, here in Texas. As a United States Navy veteran who deployed to Afghanistan, I know exactly what it means to be loyal to the American flag, this country, and this great state. The idea that I would ever place a statue of Santa Ana at the Alamo is patently false. Enough is enough. This is not right lie, and is quite, frankly, flat-out racist. Now, I just have a couple problems with this statement. Um, One is the fact that George P. Bush is most definitely playing the victim here. I mean, uh, Matt Rinaldi said it best, to be honest. He actually replied to George on on Twitter. He said, "I I didn't believe this story when I read it, talking about the whole Santa Ana statute, but trotting out the racism straw man like this gives credibility to the story instead of debunks it. Like this gives credibility to the story instead of debunks it and makes the people you want to listen most to... Listen most, tune out. Let's not act like the left. And I think Matt's... I'm going to reread this because I just botched that up so bad. I'm sorry, Mr. Rinaldi. I didn't believe this story when I read it, but trotting out the racism straw man like this gives credibility to the story instead of debunks it and makes the people you want to listen most tune out. Let's not act like the left. And that's true. Because while this is what George P. Bush would love you to focus on, it's not the real story. And Kyle Biederman actually replied to the commissioner on Twitter. He said, Commissioner Bush, you obligated Texas to a long-term lease with the city of San Antonio, which is true. George P. Bush's deal is like, whatever they're doing, I'm kind of going along with. And I'm going along with the reimagination. And this is a direct quote from the mayor of San Antonio. So if you want to know where the out-of-context statement would come about some statute of Santa Ana, which, by the way, is not happening, never has been happening. So there's no Santa Ana statute. But if you want to know the intent behind Mayor Ron Nuremberg, who George P. Bush is teaming up with regarding the Alamo, here's what he's got to say. I think everyone who shed blood in the defense of liberty and the things they believe in on both sides ought to be honored, and that's exactly what the intent of this redevelopment plan is. Listen to that, guys. Ron Nuremberg wants to make sure that liberty lovers on both sides of the Alamo battle are honored in this new reimagination of the Alamo. That's absurd. That's like erecting a World War II monument and saying, you know, we'd really like to honor the Nazis that were also fighting for their country. It's absolutely patently absurd. And that is the person that George P. Bush is going along with. So if you want to know why people are upset, George P. Bush, that's why. And you're in a position to veto this entire project. And I know it'd be really bad for you to do an about face right now, but I'm going to recommend for your own political future that you definitely do an about face right now and turn right around. Okay? Next, pornography. I wrote a piece in The Resurgent. For those of you who are not familiar with that, it's Eric Erickson's publication. Um, and uh, I'll give you the short version. Matt Walsh is, uh, seems like Ben Shapiro has a big, huge following and a podcast, has uh, written recently on how he thinks 
that porn should be banned and regulated in some form or fashion. This is a big discussion happening. Um, don't Google like porn debate. It's a bad thing to Google, but, uh, but you should uh, be well aware of just the discussion happening amongst how do we handle pornography within our society. And it's a major, major, major problem that's affecting everyone. And if you don't think it's affecting your family, you're lying to yourself. So figure out how it's affecting your family. So I wrote a piece, and if any of y'all want to read this, you can go to The Resurgent and look, because I only have one piece on there. Um, and you can go to Facebook, because I posted it there as well. But uh, the title essentially says, Every State Should Declare Pornography a Public Health Crisis. And for those of you who don't know, there are already 16 or 15 states who have uh, declared pornography a public health crisis. And I think it is. And I think when you dig back the ramifications um, of pornography on society, it can be deemed as such. We deem a whole lot of other things public health crises. They're probably not nearly as bad. And so I would encourage you to go and read that article and uh, let me know what you think. Either send me a message through my website or you can comment there directly on the article. Um, but I do think that a conversation around pornography is long overdue and I'm glad it's being had. I'm not sure I completely agree with Matt Walsh's all, all of his um conclusions, but I think he's bringing out some interesting perspectives. And one I'll kind of bring to light that I think is interesting is uh, one of the points Matt makes is that, you know, when uh, that the internet is, is somewhat of a public platform. And the truth is that uh, there are a lot of children, young children who encounter pornography who don't provide their consent. And so they're in some way being abused through the proliferation of pornography that is fed on the internet and gets its way into these children's hands, right? And so, you know, we don't let uh, a six-year-old go into a certain bars, right? You know, I'm sorry, we can't come in here or a club or whatever. And uh, so just the idea of, is there a certain point and you couldn't like walk in with your kid to a strip club? I don't think, maybe I'm wrong. I'd, I've never been to a strip club, so I wouldn't be the one to ask. Um, but, uh, but you know, the idea being, is there some way to restrict people's access? And one of the things I know it's been discussed at some point that I think should be considered is, is just making sure that internet providers provide a, a automatic porn filter at the point of the internet coming into the home. And, uh, and so I think that's been discussed actually around the world before, not just in the nation, in our nation. And so that's something that can be further discussed from a policy position. But anyways, for those of you who are interested in this discussion, I would go follow Matt Walsh. He's uh, writing at the Daily Wire and has some phenomenal pieces on this issue. There's other people who have commented on it as well, um, but it's something to definitely consider. And then last but not least... Um, I'm going to talk very briefly about Rick Miller. Rick Miller was a state representative who made an absolutely asinine uh, comment regarding why his opponents were running against him, that two of them were Asian and they were running because there's a big Asian population in his district that's been growing. And so they're running against him in the Republican primary because they're Asian. Uh, he did not say something racist. Okay. And George P. Bush also called this racist. So I don't know what George P.'s deal about racism is because racism is horrendous. But racism loses its sting when you just throw it out anytime somebody refers to someone's nationality in any way. So Rick Miller was not making a racist statement. And Rick, if you ever listen to this, I'm sorry for how you retreated. I should also probably say that I would not support your reelection because I don't think you did a great job as a state representative. I really do not. And, and so... But that doesn't justify the weird standard that's being created 
by Republican officials. And this is what I want to kind of draw quick attention to. So I wrote um, an op-ed in the Texas scorecard that was published, I believe, Thursday, last Thursday. And in it, I just tried to also ex- at least lay out the disturbing trend of a vague standard that's being set by Republicans. Because what happened was Rick made this statement. It came out in the Houston Chronicle and then the governor reneged his endorsement. The party chairman, James Dickey, came out and basically called for Rick Miller to step down. And, uh, you know, thus ensued this entire situation. Um, I'm really concerned and I'm concerned because I don't know what behavior is worthy of condemning and not. I don't know what behavior requires you to call somebody not worth being a state representative and, and what loses you support. You know, Dustin Burroughs is somebody who I've talked to about on this program, but Dustin Burroughs was uh, in a meeting with Michael Sullivan where they tried to offer him uh, state official favors in exchange for campaign involvement, and that is absolutely wrong. And then they went out and tried to cover it up and tried to lie about it. And when Michael came out and said, I have a recording of this entire conversation, and by the way, this, y'all should know this, or this, unless this is like your first episode you're listening to, since I talked about this like 10 episodes in a row. But this led to Dennis Bonin leaving office. Our Speaker of the House has said, I'm not running for re-election. He will not be a state representative anymore, which is a great win for honesty and transparency and truth in Texas. But when Michael came out and said, I have a recording, a week later or so, the governor came out and said, I'm endorsing Dustin Burroughs. Or maybe I was actually, let me back up. I think I just misspoke, so I apologize. I believe what happened was Michael made these accusations and then the governor came out and said, I'm endorsing Dustin Burroughs for re-election before Michael released the recording, but after he said he had the recording. So Michael said, I have a recording and they did everything and they're lying about it all. And Governor Abbott came out and said, I endorse Dustin Burroughs for re-election. And James Dickey is asked about it and he says, I don't want to listen to the recording. And then even when the recording was made public, Abbott didn't pull his endorsement and say, yep, Dustin Burroughs lied, now I'm backing off. And James Dickey, when pushed, didn't say anything. Well, it's up to the legislature to decide. He could not possibly say that the Speaker of the House lied to all of Texas and therefore shouldn't be a state representative. But Rick Miller came out and said his primary opponents are running against him because they're Asian And there's a lot of Asians growing in his district, so they think that that's going to help them electorally. He's not saying, they didn't say, why are your opponents disqualified from being state representatives? Because they're Asian. That would be a racist statement, by the way. They didn't say, what's the biggest problem with your opponents? What's the biggest issue between you and your opponents? Well, they're Asian and I'm not. That would be a racist statement. If they said, what are you going to tell the voters? Why why are you going to tell the voters to keep you? Well, because I'm not Asian. That's also a racist statement. Rick Miller didn't say any of those things. What he said was dumb. What he said was ill-advised. It was uneducated. It was wrong. But it wasn't racist. And all of a sudden, James Dickey's like, I'm glad he's gone. We're not playing identity politics. And that's not true, James, because 
you're playing identity politics in the fact that corrupt leadership in the Texas House can't get called out. But a guy says the word Asian and you're calling for his head. That's identity politics. Consistent politics would be trying to set a standard, find a standard, and actually stick to it. I quoted Matt Schaefer in this op-ed because I think he said one of the best things when he came out in opposition to Dennis Bonin. He said, the behavior we tolerate becomes the standard we set. So what is the standard? And what makes Rick Miller the worst of the bunch? I don't know. I think his statement about his primary opponents running against him was completely false, dumb. Referring to them by their nationality was tremendously stupid as well. Rick Miller's not a racist, and I think everyone who knows him will agree with that fact. I'm just asking, what makes Rick Miller so special? Why is he the one who everyone can come call for his head? I'm worried about the standard that's being set. It's not going to be good long-term for the Republican Party. If we can't call out corruption and deceit, but we can run somebody out because they trip up and say something dumb about their opponents being Asian, not racist. And I hate racism. I hate racism. But Rick Miller didn't say anything racist. And the Republican Party jumped all over him right after covering up and staying silent over one of the biggest scandals in Texas history. 50 years from now, if you're taking a Texas government course, you are going to read about the corrupt speaker, Dennis Bonin. It's going to be in your textbook. I guarantee it. You're not going to hear anything about Rick Miller. Nobody's going to know about Rick Miller. One of these issues was significant, and people ignored it. Luckily, enough people stood up to force Dennis out. But the people that ignored it jumped right up out of their chairs as soon as Rick Miller said this in the Houston Chronicle. And I don't think that's good for us. I really don't think that's good for our party or our state. And I think I've talked long enough. So with that, we're going to close this episode out. I'm going to close, if you're still listening to this, okay? I'm going to close with this. You need to join the Texan, okay? You do. If you're still listening to this recording, you either really don't like me and want to know everything I say because you're, I don't know, working against me, or you actually are a conservative somewhere in the nation, hopefully in Texas. And in that case, you should be a subscriber to the Texan. It's so cheap. You're paying like 90 bucks a year. It's like eight bucks a month. It's like two Starbucks. And that is paying an organization that's providing real news to Texas. And if you do it before the end of the year, you're going to get this super cool mug. Fake news stops here. See it? For those of you watching the video. And if you're listening, just go to the Texan.news. You'll see it there. Do it before the end of the year. I'd highly recommend it. I'm a paying subscriber to the Texan. I did it like the first week. I've loved everything they put out since. Not, I don't know everything. I haven't read everything they've put out since. I've read 20% of what they put out. Maybe 10. But everything I've read, I've loved. 
And you're probably going to read some stuff that I won't read because you and I probably have slightly different tastes in the things that we try to consume on a daily basis. But you should do it. I'd recommend it. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe. If you're also listening to this still, just review us. Come on. Just leave a little review. It helps us rise in different rankings when people are searching Texas and politics and all sorts of stuff. So just leave a review. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps. One, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit lukemessias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much and God bless. Thank you.